Hey everyone, this is Matt with another Overflow Pod in our Goodness of God series on Psalm 23. We are on part two of looking at how Jesus uses his rod and staff to protect us. So if you missed part one, go listen to that pod and come back when you're done. There are five ways Jesus wants to treat you if you'll trust him with his rod and staff. And the last pod, we saw the first two ways. First, if I bring in my hurts, Jesus shows me compassion. And second, if I choose to follow him, Jesus will lead me in the right direction. So let's get right to it. Third, if I get confused and wander off, Jesus finds and brings me back. See, we're all going to wander throughout life. And Jesus has a lot of things to say about this. In Matthew 18, 12, he says, If a shepherd has 100 sheep and one wanders away and is lost, won't he leave the 99 safe sheep to go search for the lost one? Of course. Because every sheep matters. You matter to God. If I've got 100 sheep and 99 of them are saved and one is lost, he's going to go after the unsaved one, the lost one. And if there's somebody out there confused and wondering, Jesus says, I'm going after him. We're going to bring him back. And this is the reason why Jesus came to earth. Luke 19.10 says, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. That's why Jesus came to earth. He's on a rescue mission, a search and rescue. And if we weren't lost, Jesus wouldn't need to come. See, it clearly implies we're lost without God. And if you could simply get to heaven and by being a nice person or do more good things than bad things, if that's all you had to do, then why did Jesus have to die on a cross? It was a total waste. If there's any other way to get into heaven except by Jesus coming and living a perfect life and dying for our sins because he didn't have to do that, don't you think God would have used it? Don't you think God would have chosen an easier way to gain your salvation if it was possible? There was no other way. Because Jesus says, I came to seek and save that which was lost. Which means the world is lost. Everyone isn't going to heaven. If if they were, Jesus didn't need to come to earth. So if everybody was automatically going to heaven, Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. That's a big thing you have to realize. Isaiah 53, 6 says, we're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong on him. Talking about Jesus on the cross here. We're all like sheep. It's human nature to wander, to get lost. And think about it as a little kid. You don't have to teach a little kid to get lost. They just do it naturally, especially when they're in a crowded place like a mall. We wander away from our parents. We wander away from God. We wander away into situations that we shouldn't be in, and we get lost. But God says, I'll be the good shepherd. I've come to seek and to save and to find you. It's in our nature. We naturally wander. You might even be feeling lost right now. You might be thinking, I have no idea what the next step I need to do. You may be lost over what to do with your finances or about your career. Do I stay here? Do I move? Sometimes you don't know. Do I hold on? Do I let go? That's a hard one to discover. What do I do now? Do I keep going? Do I give up? Do I try something different? You're feeling a little confused about things in your life? That's called being lost because you don't have a guide who's walking through it with you. Or you've got a guide, but you're not depending on them. So you're wondering, what should I do? Now, anybody who's lost a a child in a crowded place like an amusement park, let me ask you, 
When your child wanders off and your heart is in your throat and you're searching for minutes or maybe even 20, 30, an hour, and it's getting worse and worse, and when you actually do find them, your adrenaline finally calms down, the fear subsides, and then do you just go, oh, no, it's no big deal, and brush it off? Oh, no. (laughs) If your child has been lost and the longer they've been lost and then they're now found, you don't brush it off because it is a big deal because you love them deeply and you have the talk. You can't run away from daddy or mommy like that. You need to hold my hand when you're in a crowd. It's dangerous. So you start to correct your child. Are you correcting them out of hate? No, because you, you're correcting them because you love them. You discipline them because you love them. You see, an undisciplined child is an unloved child. A child that can get its way and do everything it's wanted is not a loved child because they'll never grow up. We need discipline. We need direction. We need training. Let's just take this now to your relationship with God. What does God do when you wander off? Well, he disciplines you. He has the talk. He corrects you. Psalm 119, 67 and 68 says, I used to wander off until the Lord disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. You are good, so train me in your principles. I want to be extremely clear. Discipline is not punishment. Let me explain the difference. Punishment is when you pay the penalty for the past. And it's usually done in anger. You're punished in anger for something you did. Discipline is not that. It's Discipline is training and correction for the future, and it's always done in love. You're not angry, but you're doing it out of love because you want the person, the child, or whatever, the sheep, to go in the right direction. You know, sometimes if a shepherd has a sheep that's prone to wander, and it ends up in very dangerous situations where death is constantly going to happen, where there's like mountain lions, you know what they often do? They wrap and hold a sheep's leg so it can't move. In the past, they would even break the leg so the sheep wouldn't wander. Now, was it done in anger? No. Was it done in hate? No. It was done in love because they loved the sheep and they didn't want it to die. And they would rather have the sheep limp than to be dead. So sometimes God might put a limp on you to keep you from wandering off. It's not punishment. It's discipline. Punishment is the penalty for the past motivated by anger. Discipline is training for the future motivated by love. Why is that important for you to know the difference? Because when something goes wrong in your life, you're going to be tempted just to think that it's, and this is not a thought from God, that God's getting even with you. God's punishing you for something you did in the past. And you're even a Christian. You've given your life to God. You to Christ. You confessed your sins and you say, God is angry with me right now. He's punishing me with this problem. Wrong, 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 wrong. Ten times wrong. I want you to listen very closely and clearly. God never, never, never punishes his children. He disciplines them, but he doesn't punish them. God never punishes those who have put their trust in Jesus for salvation. Why? Because obviously we keep sinning, right? But he doesn't punish you. He doesn't make you pay for your past. Why? Because it was already paid. For 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid for your sins, even the ones you didn't commit yet. I mean, shoot, you didn't commit any when he, <laughs> when he did that. If God now punished you for all your sins, that's double punishment. It means Jesus' punishment when when he was on the cross wasn't enough. 
Now, it's wrong. All the guilt, all the regret, all the shame, all the penalty for your sin was paid for by Jesus on the cross. Jesus is not going to punish you for something that he already took. <laughs> he disciplines, but he's not going to punish you. Because on the cross, Jesus took all the punishment. Isaiah 53, 5, he says, He was crushed for the sins we did, and the punishment we deserve was given to him. So now we're healed because of his wounds. You say, wait a minute, I'm not going to be punished for my sins? Not if you trusted Jesus for your salvation. Ever. Because he took the punishment. He took the judgment. I mean, if you're a Christian, if you know the Lord, don't ever say God's getting even with me. Because then what that means is you're saying that what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough, wasn't complete. You say, I get to go scot-free? Yeah. Well, that's not fair. You're right. It's not fair. It's called grace. Grace is when God gives you something, what you need, not what you deserve. God never punishes us for our sins because if we trust in Christ, he took the punishment. But he disciplines us. Psalm 119.71 says, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Notice this is the problem that's coming into his life for the purpose of education, not condemnation. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's already been forgiven. But there's education that I might learn. It was good for me to be afflicted. Now, what's an affliction? Well, it can be many things. It can be an emotional affliction in your heart, a relational affliction in your relationships, a physical affliction in your body. This isn't a punishment. David, looking back at it, goes, hey, it was a good thing that I was actually was disciplined because I learned your statutes. Now, the only way you're going to learn the statutes is when you stop asking, why is this happening to me? And start asking, what do you want me to learn? You see, no matter what happens in your life, we got to stop asking why. You're not going to know why on this side of death. It's just not. Instead, you should be saying, what do you want me to learn from this, God? So David says it was good for me to go through this trial, this suffering, this difficulty, this affliction. And I can thank God because I know God is a good God, even when things are bad in my life, because I learned some things I wouldn't have learned any other way. Because that's how we learn, sadly. <laughs> There's some things you're only going to learn through pain. God whispers to us in our pleasure and he shouts at us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone. Pain is the way that God gets your attention. Psalm 119, 67 and 68 says, I used to wander off until you, Lord, disciplined me. But now I closely follow your word. It's a good thing. You are good and you only do good, so train me in your principles. Now, this is very deep. It gives us several principles. First, how do I keep from wandering off? You know how... You have a tendency to go off the rails, like out of bounds, or do the wrong thing. How do you keep from wandering off into preventable problems? You do realize that most of the problems in your life, you don't have to have. We are the source of a lot of problems in our lives. If you were trained in God's principles, you could avoid that. What does it mean to be trained in God's principles? He said, you trained me. It means we have to learn to be wise. Wisdom is being trained in God's principles. Now, where are the principles? They're all in his word, the Bible. The more you understand God's principles, the wiser you'll be. The wiser you'll be, the fewer problems you will 
bring on yourselves. Because when I'm not wise, I make dumb decisions and then I make the problem worse rather than better. And if you want fewer problems, get wisdom. How do I get wisdom? Learn God's principles. How do I get trained in God's principles? He says there in the verse, I closely follow your word. You need to spend more time in his word. The more time you spend in the Bible, the wiser you become because you start to learn God's principles. The wiser you become, the fewer problems you make for yourself. That's how God wants you to be. Your life gets easier the wiser you get because you're not bringing all those problems on yourself. How many times has somebody said something to you and you said the wrong thing and made it worse? Because you weren't wise in that moment. God says, I stopped wandering by being trained in his principles. I get trained in God's principles by closely following the word. So it's very simple. You want to be wise. You want to have less problems. Spend some daily time with God. Take 5, 10, 15. And as you get more mature, 20, 30 minutes. Read the Bible a little bit. Talk to God in prayer. Write down some thoughts. Prioritize your life and you pray about it to God. Quiet time, if you will. So when we wander, Jesus always brings us back. Fourth, if I fail or fall, Jesus rescues and recovers me. Now, like all sheep, we not only wander, but we also stumble. We also fall down many, many times in life. And we've all stumbled. We've fallen flat on our face. And we do it with great regularity. Every time I wander, every time I get into trouble, the further I get away from God, the more problems I start to have in my life. The closer I get to the shepherd, the fewer problems I have because he's guiding me, guarding me, protecting me, directing me, and things like that. Now, all sheep stumble, all sheep fall. So how does Jesus react to this? What do you think Jesus does when you fall, when you mess up, when you really embarrass yourself, when you do something really evil or wicked or mean, bad or nasty? How does Jesus respond to your failures, to you? Matthew 12, 11 and 12, he talks about a sheep. When a sheep stumbles and falls, it says, Jesus says, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, remember you're not supposed to work on that day, will you not rescue it and lift it out? Even though it's the Sabbath, you're going to save that sheep, right? Will you not rescue it and lift it out of the pit? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep. Jesus is saying if a sheep falls into a pit, if a sheep fails and stumbles and falls, common sense means you're going to rescue it. You're going to lift it out. You're going to recover it, even if it's on the day that you're not ceremonially supposed to work. So what about your own life? Isn't God going to act that way towards you? I mean, let me give you an example of how you think God responds to your fail failures. Because unless you get this right, you're going to avoid God all the time, every time you fail. And that's pretty much every day. It's going to cause you to pull away from God instead of going close to him. If you think God is going to restore you or rescue you when you fail, you're going to run to him when you mess up. But if you think God's going to scold you and razz you and give you a long sermon about it and condemn you, you are not going to go to God with that. So seriously, think about it. Do you run to God when you mess up? And if you don't, Let's, let's examine why. What's going on? What do you, what is your misconception about God and discipline and condemning and giving you that long sermon? Let's say this, you're walking down the street one day, there's construction or you happen to trip and you stumble and you fall into a ditch or a huge sinkhole just pops out of nowhere, out of your nose and you're 25 feet down and you can't get up on your own. You're like 
the sheep, and you fell into a pit, needing to be rescued, needing to be lifted out, what's your response when you fall into a major pit? A moral pit, an ethical pit, a pit of depression, a pit of despair. What do you do? Well, you've only got about five major choices, and they're really from five worldviews. Let me explain the difference of each one. And I'm not trying to demean, uh, I'm really trying to summarize these religions. And so I'm going to explain it very simply. And, and of course, it's more complicated than the way I'm saying it. But I'm just trying to boil it down as much as I can. So if you're 30 feet down or 25 feet down, you can get out and you're stuck there. And you walk and Buddha walks by. You know what? He's going to say something about you're there because of karma. It's your karma. Karma means you get what you deserve in life. Because you were bad in a previous reincarnated life, now you're paying for it in this life. Because they can't all explain karma in one life, so they have to do multiple lives, and that's how they explain it. So you were bad in a previous life, so now you're hurting here. So if you're poor, you deserve to be poor because of a previous life you were bad. If people abuse you, it's because you abused them in a previous life. Karma says you get what you've given in life, and there's no such thing as innocent suffering in Buddhism. It's karma. There's no comfort in Buddhism. So what about, you know, Muhammad? If Muhammad walked by, he would see you in a pit and he goes, you have violated the dignity of Allah. You've broken his commandments. You have disobeyed his rules. You're there because you have violated his law, so you deserve it. If you're in the pit and the Hindu guru comes by, he'll get a little philosophical with you. The pit you're in maybe is an illusion. Because we all believe all pain is an illusion. I don't believe that, but a lot of people do. It's all an illusion in your mind. Maybe you're not really in the pit. Maybe the pit is you. <laughs> it's really an illusion. You should not really be in pain because if you can just get to a certain state, you won't feel the pain anymore because you won't think you're in the pit anymore. Now, if you're a new age movement or a self-help person, just believe you can be out of the pit on your own. Believe you can fly. What a man can conceive, he can achieve. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Have you ever really tried to do that? It's impossible. <laughs> now, you can do it. You can do it. If a, you know, Seriously, if you think about it. If a bird has a wing cut off and you tell that bird a thousand times, believe you can fly and you will. You know what? No matter how much you, the bird believes it, even if they could understand you, they'll never be able to fly because you can't fly with one wing. It's nonsense. You can be whatever you believe. No, you can't. I could never be an opera singer. <laughs> I don't have the talent. You can be everything God designed you to be. I could have all the belief and I'm never going to be an Einstein because I'm not great at math. There are certain gifts. Some people are not going to be Michael Jordan no matter what you practice, whether it's golf or basketball or baseball. Just saw yesterday, you can't be a Shohei Otani who just yesterday struck out 10 batters and had two home runs in one game. The bottom line is the whole idea of, oh, just believe and you'll just come out of the pit. That's like some kind of twisted optimism, which has no basis in reality. Now, I believe in positive thinking because it's a lot better than negative thinking. But it only works on stuff you can control. Guess what? There's not much in this world that you can control. And most of the world is out of our control. Uh, you're down there in the pit. Buddha says karma. 
Muhammad says you violated the laws of Allah. Hindu says it's not really a pit. New Age says you're a god, you can do anything. You're not even a mini-me god. <laughs> if you were a god, why are there so many problems in this world? Why haven't you solved them? You can't even solve your own problems, much less the world. We're not gods. It's not any new age. We all die. It's a lie. I mean, it goes all the way back to when Satan told Adam and Eve, eat the fruit and you'll be like God. It's the oldest lie in the book. The divine is in you. No, it's not. Now, Christ could be in you. Then the divine is in you, but you're not God on your own. You know, it's karma. It's this, it's that. So Jesus come by and he says, you know what? I'm going to give you a hand out. He doesn't make any excuse. He doesn't judge you for falling into the pit. Can I help you out? That's called being a savior. Comes to seek and to save the lost. He doesn't excuse it. He doesn't judge it. Remember, Jesus says, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save it. Can I give you a handout? That's the salvation that God offers. I want to help you. I wonder, looking around at all these churches, why aren't, why aren't they more like Christ? Helping people instead of judging them. We are so judgmental. It drives me nuts when I see Christians. They are so rude and judgmental towards people instead of, you know, being like Jesus. It's not our duty. It's not our job to judge. It's our job to love and to care and to be his disciples and to share that love with other people. There's real suffering in the world. It's not an illusion. God does not cause suffering. He doesn't have to. There's plenty of it in the world, but he does allow it. Now, why does he allow it? Well, God could take away all the suffering in the world just like instantly. And one of the major ways he could do it is just by taking away our freedom of choice. Because I always did the right thing, and you always did the right thing, and everyone else did the right thing. The world wouldn't be as broken. I mean, think about it. How many accidents would be avoided if no one ever used their cell phones? They drove drunk or tired. And they obeyed every traffic signal and was courteous, never losing their temper. We wouldn't even need insurance anymore. When the car, the only kind we would have an accident is when the car would fail. Then we just get it fixed. We would need insurance. We choose to break the law and we pay the price. But God wants to give us a choice. God wants a group of people who will choose to love him voluntarily. It's not love if you don't have a choice to not love. If you're forced to love, it's not love. God loves you and he wants you to love him back. He could have made you a puppet on a on strings and made you pray six times a day. But that's not love. That's being manipulated. God gave you the freedom to make choices. The freedom to choose that God gave you is the greatest gift and the worst curse because we all make bad choices. And as a result, we wreck the economy. We destroy the environment. And the environment takes people's lives who are innocent of particular things. We all hurt each other, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. God does not cause suffering, but he does allow the consequences of our own decisions. You're free to make any decision you want in life, but you are not free the moment you make that decision. Because now you've got the consequences of it. You're not free of the consequences of the decisions. You're free to make the decision, but you always have to deal with the consequences. Psalm 7120 says, you allowed me to suffer a lot. See, allowed, it didn't cause. 
You allowed me to suffer a lot, but you will bring me back from the deep pit and give me a new life. You in a deep pit, Jesus says, let me help you out. You need a new life, Jesus says, I can give that. This is the good news. When you let Jesus be your shepherd, you're no longer on your own. That takes away a lot of stress in your life. Proverbs 3, 25 and 26 says, You never need to be afraid of sudden disaster or hidden troubles that ensnare the wicked, for the Lord is your security. He will keep you safe and keep your foot from getting caught in a trap. Like that shepherd who got that hook on the end of his line, or on, on the end of his uh, staff, will pull you out of the briar bush. He'll pull you out of the edge of the cliff. And when you're about to go over, you don't have to be afraid. He's going to be your security. He'll keep you safe. He'll keep you from stumbling. If I bring my hurts to Jesus, he shows me compassion. If I choose to follow Jesus, he's going to lead me in the right way, never the wrong way. If I get confused and wander off, he's going to find me and bring me back. If I fail or fall into a ditch, he's going to rescue and recover me. And number five, because he's a good shepherd and God is a good God, if I trust him to save me, Jesus keeps me saved. It's not your job to save yourself. It's not your job to keep yourself saved. It's your job to put your hand in the hand of God's. And when you put your hand in the hand of God, say, God, I'm all yours. The good, the bad, the ugly, and I could never earn heaven. It's perfect, and I'm not, and I never will be. But I'm putting my hand in yours. I'm accepting your gift of salvation. I'm accepting your son as my savior. I'm putting my hand in your hand. Now, there will be days when you want to let go. But God isn't going to let go of your hand because he loves you. He's the good shepherd. John 10, 27 to 29. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never die. And no one can steal them out of my hand. My father gave my sheep to me. He is greater than all and no person can steal my sheep out of my father's hand. So once you put your life in the hand of God, there will be times when you want to pull back and say, I don't even know what I believe and I doubt. And God says, I'm not letting you go. You're in God's hand now and no man can pluck you out. Your salvation, your relationship is secure. You can't lose that relationship once you've got it. Now, if you were saved by works, the moment you stop working, obviously you could lose it. But if you're saved on the merits of Jesus, you'd have to be unsaved on his demerits and he didn't have any. <laughs> This is grace. You put your life in his hand and he says, they're in my hand. Nobody can pull them out of my hand. So you can just relax. If you only trust in Jesus, know that you're not getting to heaven on your own, but only through the blood of Christ and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And you've committed your life to him. Your hand's in his hand. Satan can't steal your salvation. Sorrow can't steal your salvation. Sickness can't steal your salvation. Suicide can't steal your salvation or any sin for that matter. Society can't steal your salvation. You're in his hand. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says it as clear as it could be. There's nothing that could ever separate us from his love. Let me paraphrase. Death can't. Life can't. Angels can't. Demons can't. Our fears, our worries about tomorrow. Even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we're high above in the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, is that good news? Absolutely. When you can truly say, the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, truly say that. 
you're eternally secure. And everything else is taken care of because you're his sheep and Jesus is your shepherd. And you don't have to, you can just relax. Now, who is your shepherd? Can you truly say the Lord is my shepherd? Or are you a sheep without a shepherd? You know, you're not going to last very long in this life as a solitary sheep on your own. There's just too many predators. You need a shepherd. You need Jesus. And it doesn't take much. Just ask him. Call out to him and he will answer you and forgive you of all your sins and bring you into his family. And if you've already asked him, then trust him and rely on his rod and his staff to comfort you. Just as Psalm 23 says. Well, I hope that encouraged you today and I will see you in the next pod.